your teeth shriek like that? Like <laughs> you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. Heyo. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we have with us another person in the booth, the OG Irenacast host. <laughs> Mona is back for this episode. What, what? Mona, welcome back. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi, cousin. Good to be here. Hello, cousin. For those of you who don't know me, I was on the show for two years prior. How long have you guys been doing this thing? Three and a half years. So we're this is this is going to be episode 124. So anything we talk about, show notes, irenicast.com slash 124. But yeah, so Mona has was our co-host uh, for 100 episodes, really. If you um, listen to anything before episode 100 that's i'm that's me my yapping away right and she's been back a couple times since then i think this is well when we came back with 101 after our hiatus you were you had an appearance we had we each had little recorded segments and then we had you on for an episode i think early this year was it i can't remember but we'll put that episode in the show notes and then (laughs) am uh, i that forgettable jeff (laughs) (laughs) And then now this episode, and this episode you're on for not only because you're always welcome here and this is this is your home, but we have a question that is kind of going to be the catalyst for the conversation that we're going to have today that asks us to revisit a former episode in which all three of us were a part of that episode, episode 90. And uh, we just thought if we're going to readdress it, we might as well have the old crew come back and do the conversation together. And then for a segment, we're going to catch up with Mona, find out how things are going, and we're going to do a good segment that we've done before called Sound Trades, which always ends up being awkward and fun for sometimes the wrong reasons. So, uh, Can let I me... ask a favor before we begin? Yes. Can, yes. can we use my real name? Please. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mona a is a brief history. Uh, yeah. Mona... Go all the way up there. I'm not going to speak for you. Tell us why. Go why... ahead, Jeff. Tell me. Tell us. <laughs> your face. I'm not going to start off the episode by mansplaining your history. <laughs> this is my her story. So when we first started the show, um, I was a grad student and I was like really quite freaked out at the prospect of like, coming on air and talking about being a feminist and this was kind of on the heels of Gamergate so I don't know I was just like a little bit freaked out about using anything close to my real identity since then I've gotten a little bit more bold and so I'm happy to tell you all that my real name is Mel and if you guys wouldn't mind using my name as Mel I regret using the synonym I'm glad everybody knows and loves Mona but uh yeah let's let's call me Mel you can call me the artist the artist formerly known as Mona if you like those are your options, Mel, or the artist <laughs> formerly known as Mona. So, yeah, we will attempt moving forward. Well, I mean, it's so weird because I feel like most of the time I'll just call you Mel. But for some reason, when I'm on this microphone, my immediate thing is is Mona. So we're going to we're going to transition out of the, the Mona phase, the Mona era into <laughs> the Mel or Melody era of Irenicast. Well, and you, I mean, so Jeff and Alan, if also, if you don't know Jeff and Alan, we've all known each other basically since, since birth. Alan is my actual cousin and Jeff was my youth leader in high school. So it was a huge transition to learn to call me Mona. But now, yes, we're all evolving all the time. And I could admit when I was wrong. And so Mel <laughs> is my name. Mel, you shall call me. 
I feel like kind of a lead into this conversation. If we had started this podcast in the Trump administration, we might all have picked pseudonyms <laughs> depending <laughs> on where we were <laughs> and the things that we were challenging. Uh, so with that in mind, let's get this conversation. It's too late now, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Let's get this conversation off the ground. So we got a, um, a listener request, not even a request, just a note to the podcast on our Facebook page from uh, from Dina, one of our listeners. And she says, hi, I just listened to episode 90. And we'll put that in the show notes. Episode 90 is um, the episode we recorded right after it was official that Trump was elected president. And we were just kind of responding to, well, what now? And the, the title of that episode was Atmosphere of Fear, uh, Action, Motivation, Control, Episode 90. This is in response to that particular episode. And she goes on to say, I'm curious if you plan on doing a second episode as a follow-up to it. I know you are really trying to maintain an even keel and make room for all sides. I think for many of us at this point in time are struggling with the command to love our neighbors when our neighbors are vilifying vulnerable people in our society. How are we to heap love on a president that lies and looks out only for himself? Uh, So just to provide a little context, if you're not planning to go back and listen to the episode, we were just kind of talking about, well, what do we do with this? Because one of the primary ways in which we feel Trump was elected was that he capitalized on the fear of people. Uh, whether they were real fears or not, if you're afraid, it's real to you. And that's that's what matters. I thought we, you know, it, on, a, on a certain level, we came to a conclusion of, you know, well, let's see where this goes. But a lot has happened in the last two years. And how do we respond to this? Because I think this question that uh, Dina presents to us is is a good one. I'm not exactly sure how to start this conversation. So, Alan, you're never at a loss for words. So I'm going right. to shoot to you to kind of <laughs> get us moving. That was oh the most gosh. backhanded compliment we've <laughs> ever dropped on this show. I should have a I should have a shirt that says that. Never at a loss for words. That'd be great. <laughs> um, I think it's what we talked about was: Do you feel any differently now than you did a year ago when we originally had this conversation? All of us like were upset, and all of us felt the pain of the most vulnerable, like our friends who were scared. I think Mel uh, talked about. You know, friends being afraid of being deported, people being afraid of losing their rights, her and, you know, you, women being afraid of losing their their uh, rights and status that have been fought for for so long. And we also talked about what is it like bridging the gap between uh, these groups that are afraid and angry at each other? What What is it like and where where's our role in all of that? And I think I feel differently now. You know, hindsight brings a certain measure of maybe more wisdom or something, I think, in my case. But I'm still in process. So I want to know for for you all, Jeff and Mel, is it different for you now than how you felt when Donald Trump was first elected? Yeah, I I re-listened to that episode this morning and I, I, wow. I mean, we were all like really shook up, right? Mm -hmm. Now I feel like a smoke and mirrors veteran is what I would say. I feel like these tactics have eroded my ability to care that deeply. And that kind of frightens me, right? Like, over time, we grow weary of having to always be stressed out at what's happening on the news, and it's easier to just shut it off, which is what I find myself doing. And I don't want to stop caring, but you get, you know, empathy fatigue or confusion fatigue after a while. And and media experts talk about that being a very concerted effort on the Trump administration's part to intentionally confuse and sidewind in the media so that when one thing is happening, they'll create a diversion somewhere else so that everyone just gets mad and angry about the thing that they're supposed to look at and not pay attention to the bigger thing happening. That's an incredibly 
intentional tactic. And so if you don't keep that in mind, it's easy to fall into the chaos and not not remember that this is a giant game that we're all being forced to play. Maybe we didn't see that as much in the beginning, but now a year and a half into that, I see it really clearly, but it's it's hard not to feel powerless in that dynamic. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. It certainly has changed the way that I consume media and news over the last two years. I think I said one year, but it's been two years, It's right? been two years, yeah. yeah. Oh my two God, years. a year and a half. Oh yeah, come in, yeah. It's a little, somewhere between two years and a year and a half. But um, you know what really is done for me is, you know, the catalyst of this whole entire podcast was all of us were evangelicals and we moved away from that in different ways. And I think coming into the election, I felt as though I had pretty much done a good job of reconciling what I was going to keep from evangelicalism and having kind of got to that place in where the, where we were on speaking terms again, you know, like uh, not just the things that Trump has done, but the environment that he's created with the evangelical right church and its leaders has again, recontextualized my relationship with evangelicalism and has caused me to not be as gracious, not be as even keeled in not just what I present, but even internally and just feeling like more so like more so than when initially with my deconstruction of my theology and all that kind of stuff, but more so really like, uh, reevaluating, like how could I ever have been a part of that? It's been a lot more difficult for me to, to maneuver through that relationship that I felt was already kind of at a place of, of peace, I guess. It's really, it's just irritating now. Like, I feel like I don't have any patience. All the things that we talked about in that episode about not disregarding people and trying to find that middle ground, I feel like I'm quicker to just disregard someone, to totally just like you, whatever, just shut up, get away. And not even just people, but like a whole entire side. Like, I find myself all the time internally jumping into the red versus blue kind of thing. Um, Because it's so easy, like at this point, vote Democrat. I don't care who it is because I just want, I don't know. I just feel sick some days. How does that make sense? It's interesting that you have said, I can't believe I was a part of that, because it seems to me that the evangelical movement has evolved so rapidly from like the post Reagan era, right? Of like the, you could call it like the religious right focus on the family purity culture era to like the Bush era. I'm talking about like white evangelicalism is very um, otherworldly. And now I don't even know how to characterize today's evangelical church, but actually that's not a monolith. And that's interesting that there are a lot of evangelicals who aren't Trumpists a lot. There's some conversations that I've been kind of looking into that there's a sense of like, we want to dissent publicly, but we are afraid of splitting our camp or our political power. And we don't feel it's right to air out our dirty laundry in the public setting. So we're going to do it behind closed doors. But there's absolutely contention in the evangelical camp. It's very much more diverse than than it seems. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that's probably the heart of what I have no more patience for is people just not speaking out. In my my entire ministry career, it was always like this greater good thing. So things were not called out because of the they were worried about unity and the greater good of things and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like I'm at a place now where like the greater good is speaking truth, what <laughs> regardless of the consequence, because people will will attach to that in the long run. At least I hope. And I feel like also I feel a little bit betrayed because even all the things which I know we all have our problem, like huge problems with purity culture and, you know, what we call, quote unquote, biblical manhood. But I feel like everything I was taught that I was supposed to be as a, as a Christian male 
the opposite is embodied in this leader that these same people are propping up as the example, right? So if it's like a betrayal, like everything no I was sense. like taught is is out yeah. the window. I, I appreciate Mel, not Mona. <laughs> you talk about how it hasn't been a monolith. Things really did change from 9-11 till now for evangelicals in our country, in my experience. And I, I've heard other people say that, that somewhere in that span of time, things shifted. Like from the Reagan era evangelicals till now, I think fear has been a very big part of that. They've done MRI scans and studies, and they can tell whether someone's going to lean liberal or conservative based on how big their amygdala is. There's a real underpinning of fear that pushes people more conservative and a lack of fear that pushes people to be a little bit more liberal. And studies have confirmed that. And I think for the evangelical church that has kind of been told to be afraid by leaders, by political leaders, church leaders, stuff like that, that it's changed. Trump was the the biggest pusher of fear for that base. I also appreciate, Melody, how you talked about it's a big game that's being played and you feel like it's the smoke and mirrors, the game being played, and you have a hard time like remembering that sometimes. Where I'm at now is basically we're in a relationship with a narcissistic person. So if you're going to talk about love, dialogue, all of these things that bind us as human beings, they, they actually go out the window when you deal with someone who has MPD. Like I've, I've personally had to go through really bad times in my life where I've worked in settings with people who suffered from stuff like this and like the usual rules don't apply. Like listening to Trump or giving space or doing things like that, it's never going to accomplish what we, what it should usually accomplish between people. Right. That's a good point. It's the problem with ascribing any monolith to the idea of loving your enemies. I don't know if we've done it subconsciously, but we've attached a, a way that that looks. But we forget that uh, a nuance was a big thing in our last conversation. And we forget to attach nuance to people. And if people are nuanced, then our approach to them need to be. And I think that I think that's a really good point, that this is a unique personality in a in an office that's been consistent and how do those things reconcile and how do we approach it they ask what does love for donald trump look like and i think love for a narcissistic person is like not actually praising them not feeding into their narcissism and actually putting up really healthy healthy boundaries you know anger and love aren't mutually exclusive the difference is like i don't want to be bitter and have hatred in my heart toward people but anger is something very different than that and i think anger can be okay Mate, you can be angry at people. You guys get angry at people you love I think, ever. I think that anger is an outcropping of fear, like real anger, right? You're you're afraid that the present circumstances that are continuing are not tenable to your survival. You're afraid that someone will be hurt if the current course of action persists, right? The most righteous forms of anger spring from a place of fear. And so what are we really angry at? I think you have to ask, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of our country being divided. We're afraid of our democracy falling apart. We're afraid of our economy crashing. We're afraid of the the earth dying. We're, I mean, we have a lot to be reasonably afraid of. And that you can, I think, measure the amount of anger that people express according to that level of fear, that fear of like ultimate chaos that our society will collapse because our society is breakable. Like we made it, therefore it can be broken. What our democracy is only like 250 years old. That's not that long. Much larger places have fallen. I'm not saying it should fall or I want that to happen. I'm saying this is why people are scared. As far as Trump's personality is concerned, I don't think that we can presume to diagnose him. We're not experts, like no offense. I don't think we can. Experts have, have diagnosed from afar. From afar, again, but like that's that's all presumption, right? You you can't actually clinically diagnose someone unless you actually like literally run tests on them and like 
they submit to anyway that's not the point the point is that someone with a toxic personality type only has as much power as people around them are willing to grant them and so to me what's not concerning is that one narcissistic type person has made it to the highest seat of power but that so many other people have put him there and there's a he's tapping into a huge movement of people who are incredibly disgruntled and a whole bunch of things, you know, like all, all the way down to tapping into certain political ideologies, being anti-abortion and saying Trump is born again and not quelling support from su- white supremacists and not correcting people who think that he's actually a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. You know, he has postured himself in a certain way that makes people think that he's sincere, like someone who the rhetoric I hear is God can redeem anyone. So it's accepting Trump has become a testament of someone's faith in a God who is redemptive, that God could even redeem or use someone as bad as Donald Trump or voting for him in spite of on the other side, voting for him in spite of his flaws, there there are some Christian communities who believe that Trump is literally a fulfillment of scripture, that God is using Trump to usher in the end of days or whatever, you know, they think God is doing with with Trump. So despite his flaws, he's a tool and an instrument of God. And he's leaned into that those perceptions actively to amass power. So do I respect the guy? No. Do I recognize that he is portrayed in the media as someone who's crazy and out of control, but actually he's probably a lot more in control than he lets himself be perceived? Yes. And so I think that that combination is dangerous and to write him off is just a nutbag or someone who has psychological problems. Now, so I'm not saying you I, guys are, yeah, but I think N- that NPD that causes not, us to miss some things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the NPD, is, narcissistic personality disorder, is, a, is you know, you're a crazy or something. Um I'm he, sorry, I misspoke. I didn't mean to say that you were saying that, but a lot of people do just write him off and say, "Oh, yeah, he's and just I think nuts." That that's awful. Yeah. And I, the reason I bring that up, I think some, you know, some psychologists have come forward and said that. Some are like really reluctant to say unless they sit down with him, they can say that. You can say that uh, narcissism is both a psychological disorder and a personality dimension, right? It's a part of some people's personalities. That's how. And Trump, just from the basic definition of stuff, he ascribes that to himself. I mean, like he's he speaks and he acts in a way that is extremely narcissistic. All you have to do is like he literally watch and listen tries to, to put him. his name on everything. Yeah, yes. okay. I mean, and, and, I'm not going to argue greatest. with you on that. Right. Okay. So <laughs> what I'm trying to say is. My crowds are the biggest crowds. Yeah. So love toward a person like that. Not just that. It's not just the I'm the awesome. It's destroying all the barriers between yourself and other people. When he speaks to his crowds, he brings everyone in in this like silent consent. Because I've been with narcissistic leaders before and it's like, hey, we all feel this way. And if you don't stand up and go like, no, I don't. He like uses that silent consent to build off of in the future. Like, oh, you were in on this with me. You are you are with this with me. And basically it's like destroying personal boundaries. And that's such a dangerous and corrosive thing in the small communities I've been in. Watching it happen on a national level, love toward Donald Trump is making sure he doesn't have as much responsibility as he has. It's taking that away from him because he is hurting people and he is destroying things that that matter. Well, and I think the problem here is, especially when we're talking about the president, or even if we're talking about like a pastor or a a person who is a leader of a specific organization, is when we talk about loving our enemies, that is a specific reference to people. But we have to remember that this is a, this is a representation, a figurehead of the presidency of a system to which we don't have to love. In fact, we can actively hate a system and buck up against it 
it, because this is a system that has allowed all of these things that are making a lot of us uncomfortable to come up against. So like last our last episode, when we talked about the idea of protest, like there are things that we can do that allow us to buck up against a system that Trump represents because none of us are ever going to have, well, very few of us are going to have a personal interaction with thing. And we can still treat a person with respect. But when they are the figurehead of the presidency, what we're doing is we're bucking up against the system. We're bucking up against the country. Isn't that like the underpinning of all of Jesus' work was bucking up against the system and, and challenging those systems of power? Yeah, well, it's not just a system. I think, yes, I'll agree with you. Uh, but where is that power coming from and what's feeding it? That's the question. Why is Trump in a powerful position? Where is he fed his power from? He's fed his power from people who don't want abortion to be legal. That's a huge conversation that liberals rarely want to engage in or meaningfully. I've not seen it done hardly at all. He's drawing his power from people in a working class America who have been disenfranchised from a, an increasingly tech economy and left to rot while the perception is that the urban poor get a lot more help and resources. So if you are poor and white in this country, you are screwed and you don't get any assistance. I, I'm not saying I necessarily believe this is true, but these are the perceptions that we we have entire, entire communities in this country who have been destitute and their, their industries have been wiped out by offshore manufacturing and all kinds of economic forces. And they're languishing in like opioid crises because People have no hope. They have no future. They have no jobs. They have nothing. Th there has been this growing, amassing, angry energy that this is not just, will someone please fix it? Hey, here's a businessman who says he knows how to make money. We need to feed our kids. If I picture it that way, and I think I'm in the tiny town somewhere in the middle of Arkansas, and I'm I'm hoping that someone will come and give me hope that I can actually retire and not work till I die. I'm hoping that someone come around and make healthcare affordable. And this guy seems, I don't really like the guy, but he seems to know what he's talking about. I might be more prone to vote for him, right? So I think it's a waste of time to attack Trump. Like that's what I'm getting to. It's a waste of time to attack him. I think we have to speak to the sources of disgruntlement and the sources of anger that are feeding his position. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I, I want to go there with you. But I still think it's important for people to recognize that, like, overlooking what someone is or does to get this end result is extremely dangerous. And I know that that might not make headway with people in the middle of the country, but, like, I wish more people understood what narcissistic personality disorder in leadership did behind the scenes. Like, it's it's one of the most destructive things that happens to any community like I've been a part of. And unless we start recognizing that, we're going to keep putting people in power who, who operate that way. I think there's a... There's a middle ground, right? Because I think, Mel, what you're saying is 100% right on. But people don't vote off of facts. Like you said, they're they're voting off of their experience, and that's what they experience. But things were better off under the former president. But he was treated with such you know vicious response from the people that feel like they've been left behind in a lot of ways. And I think that there's there's an underpinning of the, what this is what this is doing in our country as far as like you know wrestling up the dust and seeing kind of what comes to the surface and. What what is a game on one level to certain people? There are real people, specifically people who are minorities or oppressed or or whatever. Who it's not a game because they're being directly affected. Like we've seen a, a rise in hate crimes because of rhetoric, because of the, a political game. These things matter. They don't matter on paper, right? So like we can look at hate crimes, for instance. They rose to their peak in two thousand one after nine eleven, like double what we're seeing right now. 
And they've been on the decline ever since until recently where they started to kind of tick back up because of this rhetoric. We can look at the percentage and being like, eh, but I think anytime we get to a place where we're thinking of people in terms of percentage and not like actual numbers, that's when it makes a difference. Like these, these political games, this rhetoric, it, it does make a difference. It, it, it's not a game to certain people. I don't know where we find our place in the middle of that and what we can do about it because the, the facts don't matter. They, they don't. I don't think they, they do. do matter. They absolutely matter. Yes, I think we should hold him accountable. I'm not saying that we should throw caution to the wind and not look at his actions or the repercussions of his actions. But there's no way that he has as much power as people think he has. He has power because everyone is cooperating and giving him that power that we are we are all co-creating that power. If he was just some blowhard on Twitter, he wouldn't have power like you know, he could be a lame duck president and not be able to get anything done. But people are actively giving him power. For many reasons. How can you not with this particular office, right? So it's not like... He's absolutely responsible. He's absolutely responsible for his actions. And and I agree with you. I think he is absolutely responsible. But I think the reason that this situation is unique is that if he was a TV personality, we could shut him off. Even if he was a congressman, (laughs) we could shut him off. But we can't not report on the presidency. It's the presidency. It's our country. It's the center of everything. And we all know, you know, that the president doesn't have as much power and all the promises that happen during campaigns can never really fully be realized because there's all these other steps and all these other people, you know, our voting matters more with Congress than anything else in terms of actually change happening, but it's still the presidency. So how, when you have this person in the White House, just the nature of the office itself, we can't just not give him that power, which is the attention. I have a question for Mel. You talked about speaking to the, the issues that people care about. It's these disenfranchised people who are latching onto Trump. And the remedy is not to disparage Trump. It's to speak to those issues and help people like see that you know there's actually a different way of addressing them that he's not necessarily selling. How do you do that when he consistently lies to people? And they believe his the way the way that like work leaders like him work, get people on their side, divide people, and then get crazy loyal followers. That's happened in every instance of leadership like his that I've seen in the past. How do you speak to those people who are being lied to without addressing Donald Trump? You know, like you you, you want to talk to the poor white people and say, hey, actually, it's going to wreck your economy. You're going to be the people paying the most. Um for Trump's policies, the people who do care about you and who care about the poor are not this, you know, billionaire who's putting billionaires and millionaires inside of Congress and stuff or inside of his government and cabinet. It's actually a different way of, of being that's going to address your needs as a community. They're not going to listen to that because they're being lied to. Yeah, they're being lied to. I mean, in general, I'm not talking, I'm not necessarily saying Donald Trump's a madman, but in general, you don't give the madman the microphone, right? Like if, right. if you know someone is a media expert and knows how to shape media to do, to get people to do their bidding, you don't give them more attention. And that I think is the trap that we've been falling into with our, with leftist media for the last year and a half. Every time he so much as farts, everyone's just screaming about it, right? Like instead of actually focusing on the issue, people are out there making memes about his hair. Like it's not, Right. We fall right into that plan when we let ourselves be swept away in the hype that it's not productive. So I would say, Ellen, to your question, has the left presented a viable economic hope and future for lower class working white America? No, No. we have not built a better house until you build a better house. 
for someone to move into, they're not going to leave their old crappy house that's dangerous and falling apart. You have to provide something better that they want to believe instead. You can't just be like, well, this guy's not going to help you. He's destructive. Like, what else do they have? And and this is this is what's so interesting about this question that came in. And I really resonate with the way this is, this is said, the, the whole question that started this episode. Uh, at this point, many of us are struggling with the command to love our neighbors when our neighbors are vilifying vulnerable people in our society. Um, I want to ask a question in return. What is the alternative to love? What can we do besides love? Unless you love harder and and broader and more deeply and in more truth than your opponent who's full of crap, just screaming that that person's full of crap is going to get you nowhere. You have to create a vision, an imagination of reality that is so far beyond the crappy thing people know now. 100%. Going back to what we, what we were just talking about and me asking the question about like, you know, it being about people aren't going to respond to facts, they're going to respond to narrative. And I think that what you're saying is 100% true is that we, the left, whatever, opponents of Trump have done nothing but react to his lies, to his rhetoric, which therefore you're just playing in his narrative instead of, like you're saying, creating a separate narrative for a people to latch onto and be much more effective in creating conversation and dialogue than just running the hamster wheel of an alleged narcissist. <laughs> the difference bet- for me is the difference between invitation and resistance. You're talking about inviting people to a new house and a new way of being and this image of love that's all encompassing. And I'm totally with you. But like, if you're going to go invite people like those who protested at Charlottesville, if you're going to go up to them and invite them to this like lovering bigger picture and they're actively marching or they're marching with torches or they're, they're trying to get communities broken up and sending people out of the country, inviting them and inviting Trump to sit down at the table does absolutely nothing in my mind. And I think that like, I don't know, have we tried it? What, yes. So what I think has to happen is it has to be kind of a conglomeration of things in all the action. There has to be an invited response that they can actually do. What I've noticed is, uh, wait, hold on. I, just for clarification. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think that any of us are proposing that part of creating an alternative narrative is inviting the other narrative to the table like isn't that the resistance itself by painting a separate picture for people to be drawn to like does there have to be a meeting in the middle all all there is is resistance back and forth right and there's no this there's no invitation to something bigger and so i think you can do both at the same time but it requires laying your body on the line i think if you're going to invite people to like i really mean this (laughs) i really mean this i do i do mean it that like if you're going to take this love picture as far as you can and you're going to actively resist people. There's a difference between saying you're wrong, like you're dumb or, you know, your hair's orange <laughs> or like, you know, you, you don't you're tanning weird and you have little goggle things. That's that's just resistance with no end game. We just hate you. We don't want you to change. We just want you to go away. You can do the resistance thing in love where you're calling someone to something bigger, like all the white supremacists. I want them to know that they have a place in society. You as a white person have a place in society, but it's not at all like you're doing right now. And so I'll put my body on the line to prevent you from hurting vulnerable people. But like, how do you do that in a way that's loving toward people who are? And so I, I get this person's question because it's, it's a tension that we all have to live in. How do you invite people to something bigger and to love when they're hurting people? Right. And and love is not boundarylessness, right? If you want to go back to the right. example of Christ, like Christ said, 
Jesus had some pretty profoundly boundaried words for the Pharisees and the people who felt like who were wreaking economic injustice and forsaking the care of the orphans and the widows. Jesus went through with a bullwhip and you know, basically like destroyed a financial center, like the money lenders at the table. You know, Jesus was not, I'm not advocating a kumbaya sort of thing. I, I don't, I'm not advocating, like I talked in episode 90, I'm not advocating cheap peace. I'm not advocating giving in or being a doormat. I'm, I'm advocating building a, a better future that, that we can invite people into. And I don't think that has a place for hatred, right? So if somebody here and now is stuck inside their little weird vortex of hate, that, they get to come, but they their hate doesn't get to come into the new vision of the future. For example, those uh, protesters, I believe it was in Charlottesville, one of the chants that they would chant over and over again, and I've thought about this a lot, and it's very offensive, so I apologize you know, for even repeating these words, but the thing that they were chanting was a very curious thing. They were chanting, the Jews will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us. That logic is beyond me, right? Like that's a whole history of of anti-Semitism in white supremacist America. Why they even think that that could be a possibility is very strange to me. I don't know what evidence they're basing that on, right? I would have to study that more to see what they're talking about. It was a Nazi saying the Jews will not replace us, right? So they're drumming up anti-Semitism and hate. But that word replace, like, oh, my God, they feel like they're going to be replaced. That's horrible. I don't care what logic you're founding that on, but if you fundamentally have a fear that you're going to be replaced in society and there's just no place for you in your home for some reason, like, I don't know, I don't care who told you that, how you came to believe that, but let's talk about that, right? Like, is there a kernel of truth in there that I can latch onto and validate, say, I understand that you feel like you're going to be replaced. I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, can we can we have a conversation around that? So I think that there's a lot of power in looking at your opponent and seeing like, what at the base of their belief structure and their fear structure can you validate and say, no, I I believe your lived experience is is valid to the extent that you believe that that happened to you. I mean, this is dangerous, right? This brings in like a whole host of ethical questions. But you can say, you know, I, I will give you that. Like, I will give you that that working class America is dying. I will give you that it's hard to put food on the table. I will give you that healthcare is in shambles and we're in so much debt that we're on the verge of economic collapse, right? I'll give you all of that. How do we work together to fix it instead of just saying, well, that stuff shouldn't, you shouldn't care about that stuff. You're, you're wrong. You know what I mean? Like Mel, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying, but we can say that, right? Like we can say, hear someone say that the Jews will not replace us and we can be like, oh, you feel like you're being replaced. But if you are Jewish, you are then in a relationship with those people where you are the abused and they are the abuser. And you don't have that luxury to understand where they're coming from when you're the direct victim of the, the outpouring of that fear. I mean, that's an excellent point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that I mean, that's the problem with a nation in general, right, is that there's always going to be there's going to be someone who is the oppressor. There's going to be someone who's the oppressed. And then there's going to be everyone in the middle. And then as someone in the middle who maybe looks more like the oppressor, how how then do you do respond to all this? How do you create a space for all three of those camps to, to come together in some kind of peaceful resolution? Uh, because it becomes problematic really quick. I think you have to take you have to creatively take away power from people. That's where I'm at now. Or at least mirror power back to itself, like as like a witness, you know? Like creatively. Like I don't want I, I'm not advocating like uh hurting people or violence or anything like that. You know, it's funny, after all of this, when I first started, I was like, property destruction's wrong, completely wrong, like this should never happen. And now two years later, I'm like, 
I don't really know what, what to do with property destruction. Jesus, he enacted prophetic destruction on on what he saw as a blasphemous temple, right? Maybe poor people riding in the streets uh, against the landowners and the profiteers in their neighborhood could be considered similarly prophetic. I, I don't I don't know. Dr. Martin Luther King said that the riot is the language of the unheard. Yeah. And I I, mean, when, not, when protests are ignored, that's when riots happen. Right. Right. And when I, I'm yeah. not personally inclined to, inclined to destroy stuff. Um, I actually don't really like conflict, but I don't necessarily judge the people who do. So this is a big change for me. There was a nun one time who threw a bucket of paint on a um on like a U.S. warship. <laughs> she just walked up to it and threw a red threw red paint on it as like a prophetic thing. I might join her. I might carry a bucket of paint and do that. But I just think that like allowing space for people when their intent is to hurt and to exile and to commit violence is just not an issue, not an option for me anymore. Maybe it used to be, but now like this has all come home for me. Like there's no place for that. I even deal with it. Okay. I deal with it in my own community. When someone comes into my community and starts cornering people and physically interacting with people and making them uncomfortable and like crossing boundaries, like as a minister, there has to come a point where you say, you know, you're not welcome back here. Period. Right. 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 But that and you're dealing like, with an individual. So mediating individual conflict is manageable, but how do you how do you mediate conflict between but, people? But let's ex- but let's extrapolate that. I just I just had this boundary right where it's like this is not going to be allowed anymore. To me, that that doesn't mean I'm not loving this person. It just means that like I, I don't think you can create room for hate. And there are, there's are, there's so much hatred that is that is boiled up to the surface. Okay, I'm going to say something so controversial right now. It's going <laughs> to it's going to maybe come across bad. Is it possible? That the left has been so sensationalized, even while we're critiquing sensationality, that we take very small comments and turn them into something they were not. We are not listening to nuance. I'll give you an example. Yes. Very controversial example. But remember when everybody was screaming because Trump said Mexicans were racist purportedly. He didn't say that. And I am the last person to defend him. I don't care for him. I don't respect him. I don't want to be on his team whatsoever. But if I'm being completely honest about truth and facts, he didn't say that. He said that our lax borders were letting rapists come across the border and criminals come over. He didn't call all Mexicans rapists. So, but you have a whole I'm with you, but that side one, of people. That one no, example is bad. I'll tell you why. Because why? he said they're not sending their good people. They are sending their rapists. So he was actually saying the majority of folks who come across the border, which is not true, you're, are okay. rapists, but no, right, but you're right, right. right. I, I have seen. I totally. Your, your point stands though, because I have but the seen point is, the liberal we, media definitely take things out of context and all run the time. with it, and, and you then know everybody what does? runs with it. Yeah, it, it not only jumps up height, but it destroys leftist credibility. The reason Donald Trump has a leg to stand on calling CNN fake news is because the leftist media does this. We have shot ourselves in the foot by trying. Like it's the same thing. We're like. We're like, we're the loving party, right? We're the anti-hate party. And as soon as someone comes across and is not loving, we're just like, you're a non-loving jerk. And we just scream at them. And then all of our love just goes down the drain. I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. If not only to just say like, someone has to be the bigger person at some point. Someone has to love harder and expose this nonsense, horrible way to treat people for what for the crap that it is right the problem with that though is that we put the burden of someone has to do better almost always on the oppressed 
someone who's calling, you know, calling out white people for being racist, we put the burden on them. Well, explain to us why that is instead of taking the time to kind of self-evaluate where that's happening. And I think that that's I don't even know how to begin to change that kind of rhetoric because it almost always is put on the burden of those that it shouldn't be put on the burden of. Yeah, I mean, and it could be I mean, in the same sense, like I think. In our last episode 90, I talked about how the left was partially bl- to blame for the rise of Trump because the left has turned into the political correctness, stop police and not let conservatives have a place at the table. Right. Like we talked about that uh, quite a bit in our last episode in, in, of this nature. While that might be true, you, that also it, it, we need to be circumspect about how our actions have consequences. I'm going to basically just completely <laughs> uh, contradict everything I just said, but it can be victim blaming, right? It can be, you know, focusing on the non-aggressive party as like part of the problem. So this is a really hard question. My God, who what asked I, this question? Yeah, what I hear you saying, <laughs> and like, because 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 we keep we keep like talking about things kind of mentally and want to bring it back to something more concrete. What I hear you saying is there's a difference between Donald Trump and his followers. That that's what you're saying because like you know you treat Donald Trump one way, but there are con- there are conservatives and people who follow him and support him and give him power who should be at the table. Donald, Donald Trump doesn't Trump sh- believe most of the things that he says. He says them so he can get something because he's fundamentally a person who needs to get more in life. Everything that he does is self-serving, right? You could say. Yes. So, so you he don't doesn't- invite him to the table because it's just going to feed that. Honestly, that's where I'm at. You do not invite people like Donald Trump to the table to speak, to, to actually have space because what they do is predatory. And I think I, that like, I, I could get on board with that argument. That I mean, if he's a toxic person, yeah, but, then you but, you're say, but you're saying the people who give him power are not necessarily toxic. They fundamentally believe what he's saying, and he they believe that he believes what he's saying. I mean, essentially, what you're talking about is as a predator and the victims of that predator. So how do you how do you delineate the t- difference between the two? Because you know, like we talked about before, where is someone who has hateful feelings or racist tendencies or whatever we want to say? Where can they, in a healthy way, <laughs> express that to then move move past it? And I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't to care that. anymore. I don't care anymore. And I know that I'm a, like a pacifist, and I love everyone, and I'm interested in building that better world. But I'm finally there, where like it doesn't matter anymore. I'm not here to save the hateful white people or the people who are insanely greedy and they just want more and they already have enough to eat at night. But like, I would argue, Jesus Alan, didn't that come. Jesus said he did not come for the righteous. He didn't come for the people who have it all figured out. He didn't come for the people that like have what they need. He came for the people who are vulnerable. That's that's like from his own own mouth. So I'm now at a point where I'm like, if you're the center of power and you feel like you're losing that and that's why you're acting out in this way, take a hike. Like it doesn't matter because you have what you need. I don't have to give it to you. You know, like, Alan, I, I can I don't, love you, but like, I don't need to give you space in the society to be like, white people are better than everyone else. Or like, we hate Mexicans or like, but LGBTQ you are, you are, you are in a unique placement to be someone where a person like that, they'll actually hear you because you're not a person of color because you're not that you're not in, you're not the person that they hate so much or think that they hate so much. So I wonder, like, as part of our place as privileged people in this in this country as as part of the the group that is the oppressor maybe it is our responsibility to have those conversations with those people it's not even a conversation though because there is no conversation to be had it's a mirror you hold up a mirror and that's it you do it in a loving way you get up and you say like i'll put my body on the line i'll do whatever it is 
this is what you're doing and that's it because you can't bring you can't create space for that I, I'm a person who's really codependent and who wants everyone to have have their say I, I see that as wrong I see that as wrong it, it's a wrong response I I don't think all we can do is hold up a mirror. Yeah, I mean it is important to speak truth to power and to hold up a mirror to power, but doesn't that just embolden power? Like be like, great, you just showed me how awesome I am. Here I go stomping on more people. The the theme of redemption is so interesting to me in this whole election. So people got on board with Trump because they believe that he was a redeemed man, that even though his past sins were great, that God forgave him. They they have this this idea of redemption and also in a national redemption, like the reason people are willing to vilify and scapegoat uh, minorities is because they know we have national problems and it's easier to blame it on someone else. The idea of the scapegoat comes from the Old Testament where Jewish leaders would basically curse a goat and send it off in the wilderness and hoping that God would judge that goat instead of the people. But at the center of that is the fear of those consequences. They know that we have problems. They know that there's been wrongdoing. They're looking for someone to pin it on instead of dealing with it themselves. So I would offer that instead of just saying, stop scapegoating those people, why don't we gather the mass of our creativity and all of our energy and all of our love and create a constructive model that people can believe in instead of just holding up a mirror? That holding up a mirror will never do anything. No offense. I mean, it's important to speak truth and call it out. But like, you're not modeling something better that people can look toward. You're yeah, just deconstructing. Just to me, it has to happen at the same time. I totally agree. Because because people are not going to listen unless there's a better option. That's just the nature of of who we are. So I, I I'm with you on that. The problem is like civil discourse doesn't solve the problem for the people in power. So in general, this question that was sent to us, that's how we interact with our neighbors, right? Across the street who think differently than us. We create something better. We show that it's better. And that should have enough power to to bring people over into that. Absolutely. But for the people in power, I'm talking about the people who are making money off of what is happening right now. There is no space. I don't think that they should have a place. Well, I mean, they're still they're still valuable as human beings. They're not trash because they're they're not their they're power. not reptiles. They're not reptiles underneath who are who have destroyed their humanity. <laughs> well, and and the question of power comes. I mean, your point is so well taken, though, Alan. I mean, so the the saying is like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So. I don't know if the question is, do that pe- those people still have a place at the table? Of course, when they have a place at the table, their massive power overshadows any form of power sharing. And therefore, just by nature of them having so much power, it's dangerous. But it's also dangerous to their soul. Someone who has that much That's power. That's what I mean. Yes. Shouldn't it, it, it corrupts them from the inside. It's not safe for them. And so I think bounded love would say we will take this burden from you because it's bad for you. So that's exactly us. what I've been saying. Someone said, let's pray for Donald Trump. And I was like, I'll pray that he has less responsibility. That's really what, <laughs> that's seriously where I'm at. And so how do you take that power away from people? I mean, by holding up a mirror, you, no, you create a different structure. You, do, you create okay, so, a non-dominating structure so where power is truly shared. Invitation as opposed to condemnation is still where we're at. Invitation into what, though? I mean, something better. And you know what? That's actually the biggest thing. You're right. 
leftist people have not built a better vision in my mind. No, let's just, okay, leftists, I love leftists and I am a democratic socialist till I die, but we want free education, free healthcare, fixing all our national problems, but also don't raise taxes. Who's going to pay for that stuff? We haven't thought about that. We really honestly don't like talking about it. Like we are just as much I love talking about it. Rich people need to pay more. I totally think so. But we are just as guilty of like imaginary thinking as the right is, right? We are not we are not blameless. I think we need to get our own house in order, right? You don't have to have your whole whole own house in order before you like condemn certain practices. You, you do know? if you want to have credibility. I think it has to be a combination of condemnation and invitation. Condemnation of ideas and systems and an invitation towards people that we know are being damaged by those systems, even the people in power. And trying some way to balance those in hey, whatever way we've we had can. a guest before who said you don't have to have it all figured out to say something's wrong. Well, yeah, but if you actually want to change, and sure, you can say something's wrong, but if you actually want to make a real change, yeah, you do need to have a plan in place. You can't just go in with guns blazing and destroy everything. You have to create something better. I'm there. That 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 seems like maturity to me. You know. Well, thank you. But that's the no, beauty part about it. Is that, <laughs> but that's the beautiful part about it is neither of us individually have to be all that, right? We may not have our shit together, but we can call things out as long as we're aligning ourselves people with people who can kind of support the other side of that and have a good plan. It's the whole individualistic nature of our nation is that we try to put it all on ourselves. We feel like we have to be all things to all people, but maybe we corporately can be. We need to crowdsource that and and take all. I'm a big believer in um in game theory. I think in the next like few decades we're going to start to see social problems being solved by MMOs, by massive games, right? So anyway, in that spirit, I think you should start an Irenicast think tank and just start solving all the problems. <laughs> start <laughs> creating new new and better things. What we do, we have so much creativity that's just going by the wayside, you know? We have so much. We have a lot of resources. And it's not inspiring to me as a person who belongs to that cohort to just hear, you know, the Republicans are evil. Okay, I get it. But like, what else is happening? You know, it's not helpful. Your your platform can't be that. No, I still feel that way. Because we're we're putting out a narrative right now, like, let's get all Republicans out of office. But there's nothing to complement that to saying, and once they're out, this is what we'll do. All I see, all I see is people demonizing. All I see is neoliberals demonizing third party people right now. But I want to I want to say something to that, because it, it is possible the liberal vision of change and hope that came out of the Obama administration that only ended up being change and hope for some people, minorities like it didn't. It didn't create true power sharing fully. It just shifted centers of power and that power structure was still in existence. If you want to mess with structures of power, you don't just, you know, if you want to replace the patriarchy, you don't create a matriarchy. That's not the point. The point is to reimagine that power structure to such a degree that you you have eliminated hierarchy hierarchies that are corrupting and dangerous right so you have to you have to come up with something so so new as to not just reforge the sins of the past so that's partially what what got us into this mess really you know that 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 promise of change and hope was so big and so vague and only ended up being actualized for a very few people so the question is how do we create a vision that is great for everyone right that is promising for everyone like including conservatives including white supremacists i don't know how to do that but that's the question that's compelling enough on its own 
you said something about that. Like ideas, if they're compelling on, enough on their own, they'll attract people. I would hope so. If you had told me 20 years ago when I was a kid, like in the future, in your near lifetime, you're going to have a computer in your pocket and you're going to be able to, without exchanging any money, get a ride anywhere in the city and <laughs> play games anytime you want and FaceTime with people. You know, we wouldn't call it FaceTime back then. But if you talk about that much change in people's world all at once, it's completely overwhelming. And yet, while, while those changes come piece by piece, we are so willing to adopt them because we're hungry for those technologies. So you're saying uh, don't just keep an even keel. Like I, so that this was the question from the, the listener. You know, we were trying to keep an even keel before. Now you're saying like, let's just throw all of our energy and our, uh, our like all the energies that are in us because of all the tensions in this Trump era in, into building something better. Let's just actively work on that, build it. And that itself will take over the whatever's happening right now. Community activists have a word for that. It's called cooling anger. Cooling anger. It's anger that's directed into something constructive. Yes. Yeah, so that's absolutely what I'm saying. Okay. I'll put, I'll put my anger into that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we would like to hear what you're saying. Add your voice to this conversation uh, by commenting on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 124 or on the Facebook post for this particular episode. And you can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash irenacast. And uh, we have a lot going on there. Alan is a uh, curator of Facebook goodness for the the show. So check us out there. All of our information is in the show notes at renacast.com slash 124. On the other side of the music, we're going to be playing a round of sound trades, but first we're going to catch up with the artist formerly known as Mona. <laughs> and y'all, I'm writing a book, so stick around. I'm going to talk about it. Ooh, teaser. I don't say the word y'all, but it felt appropriate in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> So we learned early on in the beginning of this podcast that there are certain games that work well in person, but not so much over Skype and on the air, so to speak. So we came up with this version of charades that capitalizes on the medium of podcasts, where instead of acting out certain phrases in order for the other hosts to guess, we figure it'd be fun to use sound effects, our own personally made sound effects with our own mouth with our own vocal cords and uh we found this this website it's wordgenerator.net and each of us are going to randomly come up with the word and we have to get the other host to guess just by making sound effects which the first time i played this with you all it was very awkward and it's going to be even worse now because the last time we did this we did not have video where we could see each other doing this and now we can uh, so I'm thinking maybe we should shut the video off. But the video is only for the three of us. It's Just only for the three of us. Video, but it might clarify. add to the the nature uh, of what's I'm happening. Shut mine off when it's my turn. I think I I'm going to do the same. That's a good idea. So so that's how it's going to work. We've, we've, we're going to randomly come up with a a thing, and then each of us are going to have to make awkward sounds. Guess what sound it is? That's right. Yeah. So uh, Mel, since you are our guest this week okay. we're gonna let you go first all right tweet 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 a bird, a bird. <laughs> yeah was that a moderate word yes that's what it gave me okay i, f I feel like that was easy i feel like that but <laughs> okay, I, i'll I, do another one i'll do another one all right 
Wind. <laughs> Dentist's office. <laughs> uh, dishwasher. Is this actually much harder than I thought it was going to be? Try again. I'm going to turn you up so I can hear. <laughs> oh, sprinkler. Uh, 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 sprinkler. <laughs> uh, roller coaster. <laughs> Ocean. A respirator? Oh my god, no, think very simple. Very, very simple. <laughs> it's rain. It's just rain. Normal rain. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, how do I do this? What the heck? Hey, we're in California. We forgot what rain sounds like. We don't know what rain is. Okay. No, we don't. If you did a fire tornado, I would have been able to guess it in a second. It was it was inconsistent though, because like it was uh, there's almost like some clicking in there that was confusing me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I don't know how to like make this the drops. Is how, so this is how rain sounds. That's perfect. All right. It is Jeff's turn. All right. Uh, how am I going to do this? Typewriter. It's a typewriter. No. Close, oh, sort it of. It really does sound like um Corn on the cob. Door. That's such a different noise. <laughs> I know. It is. Like, Take that as a clue. opposite Keep noise. Going. Keep going. Someone's oh, opening the door with a machete yeah, is to that kill a, me. Hold on. Is that a... Uh, a rug on the ground, like a welcome mat? No. What? Oh. A welcome mat? He's all... Like someone just wiped their feet off. Oh. Come on now. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I'm so at a loss for this. All right. Uh, oh, brushing teeth? Uh, my teeth don't really sound like that. Do your teeth shriek like that? Like <laughs> you're doing something wrong. <laughs> it's chalk. Like a chalkboard, like oh. you can. I was trying to do the different sounds that chalk might make if That's you're writing good, with yeah. it. That is pretty. That is pretty good. If, like if I had another second. What was the squealy? That was like thing. chalkboard, scratching. like scratching on a chalkboard. On a chalk. I was trying to create oh. the like general the vibe. Yeah. And sometimes it shrinks. <laughs> I thought you were scratching your nails on it. Well, I was, but I, that was just in trying to get you to say chalk or chalkboard. All right, Alan, it's your turn. All right, here we go. Bow. Bow. Spring. Trampoline. Tigger. No. Banjo. A pogo stick. I can't guess I'm laughing too hard. How weird that sounds. <laughs> Bouncing a ball? Yes, it's a ball. <gasps> wow, thank that you. actually was pretty good. Hey, thanks. what was the bound part before that? <laughs> Bouncing it really it a really hard. Rubber, it was a rubber ball. Okay, and why wide? All right, there you go. All right, let's 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 do one more. Let's do one more. Okay, it's the next one on my list. 
spit. Spank? Did you say spank? Uh, bullets. A gun. <laughs> a sprinkler. <laughs> Why does everything you do sound like a sprinkler? I like how on sound effect. Hey. <laughs> Buying lots of gumballs out of a gumball machine. A shooting gallery. Oh, popping balloons. Oh, popping. Uh, You're so close. Popping those little things. Those bubble little, wrap. Bubble wrap. Nope. Close. You're close. Popping what? Popping pimples. B- bubbles. <laughs> popping bubbles. Okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Beep. Beep, beep, beep. Beep. Minesweeper? Air darts. Oh, it's bacon. Oh my god, go back to popping. Thought it was popping grease. What's the thing you pop? What's the thing that you can pop? And then eat it. Bubbles, balloons. <laughs> and then eat it. And then eat it? <laughs> An egg. <laughs> popcorn! It's popcorn. Oh. That's not the kind of pop I was, I was thinking of. I was putting it in the microwave, and then you know when the bag goes... That's good. That's good. That The beep makes much more sense now. I like Minesweeper. That's fantastic. Now I know what Minesweeper sounds like, if it sounded like anything. Oh, crap. This is going to be hard. I just picked my word. Damn it. Okay. Opening soda can? Oh, a fire, a grill, a barbecue, um, a skillet. No. Uh, Steam. Hitting a golf ball? Oh, is that an oxygen thing? No. Respirator? <laughs> it's close. That's um, incredibly... Specific. Okay. Uh this is hard. Uh Okay, I'm going to go a different route. It may sound weird. <laughs> um <laughs> Ah. <laughs> uh hitting someone on the head? But with what? Uh <laughs> <laughs> With a club? No. With a no, ball? With a a fly swatter. <laughs> I'm at truth? a loss. I'm seriously at a loss. <laughs> it's an oar. An oar? <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to make the sound of like hitting it, it hitting the water, and then swipe it across. And I just—why did you pick that word, man? It random. <laughs> I, am I allowed to pick a second one if it doesn't work? If it, oars thought, don't really make noise. I know, but I thought we had to take whatever the randomizer what gave us. I was trying to play the game. I was trying to be. Well, if I would, I would have. I skipped a bunch of them. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> oh. I skipped and a bunch of them because on, I got I got ones that were like butter. Like butter doesn't make a noise. Yes, and our penguins, penguins don't make a noise either. So I skipped. Yes, them. they do. What <laughs> what kind of noise do penguins make? I just know they do. <laughs> Alan, go ahead. Please enlighten us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, flat flippers and swimming, and they like go. They do. I think so. Yeah, they're birds. Birds make noise. They must, right? Right. Okay, you guys ready for mine? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. 
Um, a bong? A, <laughs> a motor? Um, <laughs> boiling boiling water? Soda? Making spaghetti. Making <laughs> spaghetti? What do you do when you make the spaghetti? <laughs> like breaking the noodles and no. then putting them in boiling oh, water. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Alan, go ahead. A horse sleeping. <laughs> oh my god, this is never gonna. A rabid dog. Oh, actually, this is better. Snoring? A snort? Pig? Starting a lawnmower. Asthma. Ah! Hogging uh, a loogie? Sore throat? Bronchitis? Cutting? Scissors? No, listen to it. <laughs> Ready? Wow, I wasn't listening we're doing, before. Alan? I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Huffing? It's rollerblades. That was not... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no, listen to it. You if you do, listen you start to slow, it, you'll hear and then it gets faster, <laughs> And then you stop. Come on. That actually wasn't a bad sound effect. Hey, but, come on now. Uh, You're going to listen to it again? That was like, so wow, hard. Was genius. No. <laughs> it was very like, I don't know. I would, I would never, never have guessed that in a million years. It did sound like scissors, like someone cutting something. Felt like like when your dog is laying down on the couch and goes, <laughs> like it was just a <laughs> like over and over again. It was. We are so good at this that's okay. game. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> before we close out the show, Mona, Mel, catch us up with <laughs> with what's going on. How can people find out what you have going on? How can people stay connected to the goodness that is Melody and her work? Yes. Well, friends. I am writing a book slash working on a process for groups to be able to have difficult conversations. So I was exceptionally excited to be on the show today talking about conflict because that is what I'm working on right now. The thing that I'm doing is called the Impasse Project. If you go to impasseproject.com, I-M-P-A-S-S-E project, uh, you can stay in touch. The book is not out yet. It'll be out in the spring. Uh, but right now I'm developing a pilot program. Uh, so if you are interested in helping to pilot this program and test it out and see if it works, it's designed for groups of eight to 12 people over a course of four weeks to have difficult conversations in an imaginative co-creative setting. It's designed for groups that don't agree on some critical things and it's it's helps people talk to each other so and uh i, I try to make it an, an enjoyable process as you know because it's, it's really difficult work engaging conflict in my masters of divinity program i did coursework on conflict transformation and i've seen there's a lot of stuff out there on resolving conflict but not necessarily engaging conflict that is pretty fundamentally unresolvable for example different religious and political ideologies so i wanted to create something that would help people live more into community. So if you're interested in keeping up with that project, uh, staying up to date, you can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Impasse Project, or you can go to impasseproject.com and sign up for the mailing list. You can also just reach out and be in touch. I'd just love to hear from you. If you have a passion for that kind of work and you want to be involved, uh, please drop me a line and I'd love to say hello. Sounds awesome. Anything else in particular, say 
could we be looking forward to some sort of actual EP coming from Yes Commander, <laughs> or are we still waiting on that? Yeah, we're still recording. My band is still recording. I'm excited about it. It's still in the works. Um, it's been slowed down by some things this summer, namely my wedding. I got married in uh, June. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I won't talk about my partner because he's a total introvert and he would not appreciate it, but he's wonderful. And the ma- this wedding was magical. We did like a lobster bake thing with family on Cape Cod and it was great. So yeah. So summer's been a little bit chaotic with everything going on, but all good things. Well, it's been awesome having you back. Hopefully. Commander Mel, Commander Mona. We'll, <laughs> really we'll do it again soon. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to talk to you guys. Of course. This is this is a space where you can barge in anytime. We don't need to you need to wait for us to invite you. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, Alan, what are you up to? Uh I'm start actually I'm starting clinical pastoral education at the end of the month, which means 3 days a week, um all day I'm going to be at a hospital as a resident and um doing chaplaincy and stuff. I've I've done that on a volunteer basis before for about a year, and now I'm going to actually get the education to do it. So I'm doing that while I'm also doing ministry. So life is just crazy fun. I'm going to start writing a little bit more on the blog. So com. I just put something up there about our last episode. And as always, Facebook, friend me, message me, let's connect, and let's talk. I love it. Sounds good. As for me, you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast, Divine Cinema at divinecinema.net. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to Irenacast and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, whether you have an Apple device or an Android device, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. Um, and speaking of hearing from you, you can also fill out our listener survey at irenacast.com slash survey. And the information you give in that survey is super helpful for us to kind of evolve the show and move forward. So that's irenacast.com dot com slash survey uh so for this week i'm jeff i'm alan I'm mel <laughs> oh we would do this i always went in the middle guys you've changed you things I forgot. Things we've lost changed. Our, our rhythm things there. have changed things have changed Let's, around here i'll go third i'll go third i'm not i'm not the true co-host anymore all right so then for this week i'm jeff <laughs> We just said, man. We did. I nugget. can't. I'm Alan. <laughs> and no, I'm Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation. Screwed the pooch on that one, Alan. Got you. I can't be held responsible. <laughs>